I'm Richard. And I'm Gary. And these are our incredible stories. Hello and welcome to all of our friends from across the United States and around the world. We're happy to have you back with us again. And if you are new to our podcast, welcome. We hope that you like what you hear and we hope that you'll join us each and every Friday for new episodes, uh, new incredible stories. Tonight's incredible story is going to be about uh, a woman who went through an incredible uh, ordeal during World War II. Her name is Aja Doliner. She was a woman who was uh, taken into a concentration camp along with uh, friends and families and uh, and honestly thought she would never come out of it. Uh, but thanks to some uh, courageous uh, freedom fighters working the underground, uh, she was able to make her escape from that um, craziness and uh, become part of the Polish underground and, and go into hiding. Uh, and her story is unbelievable. Uh, it is beyond incredible, and you will get to hear it in her very own words this evening. Now, it will be a two-parter, so we'll start out with the first part this evening, and then you'll just have to tune back in for that second half, because I know you're going to be dying to hear what happens at the end of her story. So at this point, we're going to turn it over to Aja Doliner to tell her heart-wrenching experiences to you in her own words. My name is Asha Dalina. I was born in Stanislavov, which is southeast Poland. But today, if you will look at the map, you won't find that place because it's now Ukraine and the name is Ivano-Frankivsk. They changed the name and I never went back even there. Uh, our family consisted of my father, mother, and I had two older sisters. And when I was five years old, my father moved the family to a very picturesque uh, resort place in the mountains because his whole family lived there. When the war broke out, it was September 1st, 1939, at that time I was 17 years old, and it came really unexpected. So when the war broke out, my father and my brother-in-law came. We lived very close to the Czechoslovakian border. So he came, they planned to run away, the two men, because what we understood is mainly men were in danger. But, and for a few days it was like a no man's land where we lived in, because the Germans were not there and nobody, just for a few days. Then we found out that the, <coughs> the Germans made a secret pact with the Soviet Union and they divided Poland. The western part went to Germany, the eastern part to the Soviets. 
So, but as I said, we knew so little about the Soviet Union. The first thing they came, they nationalized, my father was a merchant, he had a general store. They nationalized the store. We had a beautiful big villa. They kicked us out from the villa. And luckily we had a cottage in the back of the villa. So that's where we lived. And we found out that everybody has to get a job. You have to work. Okay. So my sister, my middle sister, the oldest, lived in the city. And I, we got jobs in <coughs> forestry, and a forestry uh, office, because that was the main industry there, forest. The Soviets were till June 1941. And suddenly, just like they made that secret pact, the Germans broke the pact in June, I believe it was 21st or 20th of 1941. They broke the pact, they attacked, and the Soviet army started to retreat to their borders. <coughs> After the Soviets retreated, the Hungarians occupied us. Then, after several months, they were called to the front, and then the Germans occupied. The minute the Germans entered, it was a reign of terror. The first thing they did, they arrested professionals. Doctors, lawyers, teachers, professors, rabbis, clergymen, and when you say here, arrested, you expect that there will be, you'll be called to court and so on, and witnesses, there wasn't such a thing. If you were arrested by the Gestapo, you were just as good as dead. That's it. You never saw these people again. And one day, my sister and I came back from the quarry to our little cottage, because our we never went back to our villa, not under the Germans. And we saw, as we entered our little house, we saw Gestapo, SS men. They were in process of arresting my father. We begged, we nothing doing. They took him away to the uh, immediately, family and friends came running. They saw what happened, and they said, "You must leave the house because we are surprised they didn't arrest you too. They usually take the whole family." So we just grabbed our coats and handbag, whatever little money we happened to have. Our father showed us where he kept money because in such times you don't have, <laughs> there are no banks, the Polish bank, they burned, you know, all the money and all that. So, but he showed us we had dollars. Who remembered to take anything? And besides, we did not think when we left that we will never see our home again. 
So we just walked out like that and went to some friends to stay overnight. And early in the morning, some neighbors came running and said, you know what, it didn't take one hour, they came after you. And they will, and this was a village, they will go from house to house and they'll find you. You must leave the Tatarov. So we ran away early in the morning. We had a cousin who had a farm like 25 kilometers in the mountains, further in the mountains. We were running around along the river bank and it took quite a few hours until we reached our cousin's farm. On the way we ate snow because we were hungry and we were thirsty and that's the only thing we had for snow. And when we arrived at our cousin's farm, they received us with open arms and they said they, it's very quiet there, they don't see any Germans and all that. And, it's very quiet and of course they had lots of food and we were, for a few days it was wonderful. And one day we were sitting and eating lunch. In Europe, lunch you eat the big meal. I do it even here too. And suddenly we heard screams and cries and children running and crying and we did not know what the Ukrainian peasants, they initiated a pogrom and they were running after men, women, children with hatchet killing them. Naturally, we were in a strange place. We were there maybe two or three days, that's all. So we ran out, my sister and my stepmother and I, we did not know where, but we ran in in a hayloft and it was like one story high, it was a barn in a hayloft and we got up and we were hiding there. But meanwhile children were crying, mama, mama, and, and then it was quiet, they killed everybody. And we were thinking, what are we going to do? How will we get out of that place? And you know what they did? They started to, they made like bonfires around wherever a building there was, like that barn. And so we said, now we are, that's it. This is the end. How will we get out of here? Luckily, they drank a lot of moonshine and they fell asleep on the ground and it was snow. So we took a chance and we jumped down. It was a story high. We jumped down and because, because it was snow on the ground, we didn't break any limbs and started to run back the same way as we came along the river bank. But we knew we cannot go to our village. So we stopped a village before ours, which was very famous for a ski resort. The name was Vorochta. And people from all over Europe used to come, in peacetime of course, to ski. 
And we had friends there, so we, we, but we divide. We didn't go together because we knew if one is caught, the rest should not be. We were my sister and my stepmother and I, and suddenly we heard they caught our stepmother. It was the Ukrainian militia. And we heard they, uh, we, when we saw that we ran in some courtyard and were hiding, but we heard they were asking her, who else is with you? And she said, no one, I'm all by myself. And they took her away. She was executed next day. We were smuggled in into the ghetto, and for the first few days we were very happy because we were reunited with this sister. Even it was a one-room thing, but we were happy to be together. But life in the ghetto was just awful, miserable. The, the SS would come in day or night, pull you out from your rooms, and either shoot you right on the spot or the pot. So we were told that if you get jobs, important jobs, outside the ghetto, then we will be, uh, we will not be deported, we won't be touched. Okay, so we scrambled to get jobs. Uh, my sister got a job with another group of women to clean apartments for German families, because they brought families too. And I got a job on the Gestapo Wirtschaftshof, which is a Gestapo firm, a farm, was outside, out on the outskirts of the city, and it worked like that. At six in the morning, the SS would come to the ghetto gate and pick us up. The whole group, we were over 100 people, young women, young men, and march us to work. We could not walk on the sidewalks. We were considered subhuman. We had, of course, the armbands with the Star of David, and we worked very hard. It was a back-breaking job in the fields a whole day, very little food, they would give you a watery soup and a ration of bread, and that was it. So, and one day I was, I came home, and no, as I approached the ghetto gate, my older sister was standing and I saw her eyes were swollen from crying, so I knew something terrible happened. Sure enough, my middle sister, when she was coming back, at the ghetto gate, they arrested the whole group and took them away. So this was a horrible thing, but next day I had to go to work. We cried the whole night. I went to work, and the gardener was a Polish guy. And he said to me and to a friend of mine that we worked, he was, he was very nice, uh, he, was, 
he liked me and he said, you know, Ashka, at that time they called me Ashka, there's a officer, a Gestapo officer, whose birthday is today. I want you to take over a bouquet of flowers to him. And the Gestapo courtyard was just across the street. So he picked me and a friend of mine and we walked over there. And we went over, he told us the name and we knew that uh, uh, Gestapo officer because they were all the time around us. So I went over and gave him the flowers and he was so appreciative and thanked me, Dankeschön, Dankeschön. And as we were starting to go back, my friend looked. This was the Gestapo, you know, the offices, and there was a big field. She looked and she says, oh my God, look at that. There's your sister Dushka. The, the whole group, they are turned to the wall. They waited for execution. When I saw that, I ran back to the same officer that a minute before I gave him the flowers. And I said to him, please, please, you see, that girl in that trench coat with the stripes, this is my sister, please let her go. He drew a gun and says, if you want to run away, I'll shoot you like a dog. I ran away, and this was the worst day of my life, because I hated myself. How? I should have let kill me. But when I came home to the ghetto, I told my sister what happened. And she said, how naive can you be? You begged a Nazi for mercy. He would have killed you. He wouldn't have let her go and I would have lost you both. But since then, our life was not the same. We were terribly depressed. And, but you had to go, I had to go back to work and she had to take care of the little baby. And whatever little bread I got, I always saved it to take it home. And one day, they didn't take us home. Like every evening at six o'clock, I mean, before six, they would march us back to the ghetto. One day they didn't do that. They put us up in barracks, and we did not know why. But we imagined that something must be going on in the ghetto. And sure enough, after three days, three or four days, they took us back to the ghetto And after work. And as we entered the ghetto, the first thing we saw, the Judenrat, which was the Jewish council, which was appointed by the Gestapo, they were hanging from lampposts. And when I got to our little apartment, the lock was broken. I came in. Whatever little 
food we had, like the right piece of beans, everything was on the floor, broken glass, broken dishes, no sign of my sister or the baby. That night, and nobody to ask. Finally, a neighbor came in later, and she said she was hiding. She didn't know where her children were. They were teenagers. She was hiding, because when it comes like that, it comes suddenly, and everybody runs in a different direction. So that night I couldn't cry. I could not cry, but I was very angry. And I said, I'll do anything in my power to run away. What, what can be well? At least I'll know that I tried, and if they'll catch me, so they'll kill me. Here they'll kill me too. So since then, I started right away to, there were always people that made false documents, you know. So the same evening when I came back from work, the next day, I went over to, to a man that we knew that he made false documents. But if you were caught with that piece of paper with your picture, it wasn't worth the paper it was written on, but it gave you a little sense of security. And we started, I and a, a girl who worked with me there, on the Gestapo Wirtschaftshof to run away. She was older than I, that woman, that young woman, and the reason she was originally from Warsaw, but she said to me, I'll run away with you together. I know, first of all, she was older than I, and secondly, she knew I never was to such a big city, so she knew so I figured this would be fine. And she kept on saying to me, we have time, the later we go, the better it will be, because it will be closer to the end of the war, which made sense. But what we did not know, that they will liquidate the ghetto. And once they liquidated the ghetto, what they did, they put us up in barracks, like when they put us up for a few days when they had that, what they called, action. Action means, action was killing Jews. That was the action. So then they liquidated the ghetto and they put us up permanently in these barracks. That's probably, they took us to take a few things from the ghetto, our belongings, and that's it, no more ghetto. They kept us because we were still, they needed us still to work in the, their hothouses and in the fields and all that. And one night I wake up and I see lights and I see SS men and I see some women are getting the rest. So I said to my, not that friend that I was going to run away, but there was another friend. I was here, my bed, one bed, and here hers. I said to her quietly, Tilja, what is going on? She said, they think that they didn't call our names. 
go back to sleep. That's what she said. Well, how can you go back to sleep? But I pretended. And the, these women got the rest and they took him away. But they came in and told them they need him for a job, an urgent job somewhere else. And that's it. They should get the rest and they'll take him. In the morning, we found out they were killed. All I can say is uh, her, her story is nothing short of amazing. It just, oh, it, uh, yeah, uh, for somebody to survive what she survived, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we're talking about terrific loss. And we first chronicled um, Aja's story uh, along with another story by uh, a friend of ours, Claire Soria. Mm-hmm. Claire was the six-year-old girl whose parents gave her away to some elderly neighbors uh, in Nazi-occupied Holland so that Claire could survive the war. Well, we, well not Holland. It was uh, Belgium. Belgium. That's right, Belgium. And so uh, we, uh, we did a, uh, a documentary called Deliver Us from Evil and told both women's story in that documentary. And so we've never really done much since then with Aja Doliner's story. And so uh, tonight really is the... Uh, first time that uh, she is appearing on any podcast um, anywhere in the world. and That we know of. That we know of, yes. Um, and she's no longer alive to tell the story, but um, we are certainly sharing it um, back, uh, from back in the days when we first uh, recorded it. So next week, we're going to find the second half of Aja's story equally as compelling. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's one thing to see movies and shows and documentaries about it, but to to hear it from straight from that person who who went through the experience, um, it's it's just even more unbelievable. So uh, hopefully you'll tune in uh, again next week so you can hear the second half of that story. We look forward to having you with us again. But as uh, for right now, I'm Richard and I'm Gary. And this is just the beginning of an incredible story. Again, if you like what you heard, like and subscribe and tune in each and every Friday for new episodes.